stable coins are one of the three uh, trillion dollar narratives of crypto. And I think the three trillion dollar narratives are Bitcoin, ETH, and stable coins. Hey, Bankless Nation, we've got a fantastic episode for you today. This is the Stablecoin Wars. We're talking to Sam from Frax, who is deep in the Stablecoin Wars. He's, he's one of them, uh, actually. And you know, his framing is maybe not so much wars, but uh, we're going to talk all about Algo Stablecoins. We're going to talk about um, UST, the four pool uh, curve pool that was just launched, what all this means, how it uh, it turns into. Actually, we are pre-recording this entire episode, so we've already had our conversation with Sam, and it's a fantastic conversation. David, what were some of your takeaways? Well, first off, Sam Sam starts the uh, this, the conversation with a story about central banking, kind of kind of a, a made up story, a, a parable, uh, but really grounds. We we like to say uh, a number of times before in Bankless that crypto is just speed running the history of money and finance, and so Sam speed runs through the history of central bank management, right? In uh, a very fantastic story that really frames the whole rest of the conversation. And I had a fantastic time just sitting and listening to that story, and had so much to learn just in that one story and i kind of understood exactly how the rest of the conversation was going to unfold because of that story so uh, i'm excited for listeners to be able to because that's where this conversation starts first but then we even get to uh lean into again the the four pool the usc the doquan spiciness and and how frax has gotten caught up in the middle of this to frax's benefit yeah um, mm -hmm. i'm gonna be honest david i walked away from this conversation really bullish on frax yeah like really actually excited um it's been a while since the project it was just like wow this is really neat and so we were in uh we were in education mode that that entire time actually like on the receiving end learning um guys we're gonna get to that conversation one, one quick announcement though we've been telling you for the last week or so about these mac nfts from consensus keith herring nfts we're telling you that that was released would be released on April the 10th, which is National HIV Youth Awareness, uh, HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. Those NFTs have been released, okay? A whole bunch of them are sold out. Mm -hmm. uh, I managed to get my Keith Herring red just now because I think the yellows are sold out, but the reds, there are still some reds left, at least right now. I minted this baby. I actually, you could pay in credit card, David, so I didn't have to spend any oh, ETH on this. What? No gas fees, just paid with the oh, credit no card. You, pay, you bought one. You didn't have to spend any ETH. Yeah, dude. So I no gas fees. I just like and um, it's minted on Polygon. So this is it. This is my OpenSea account. It says the floor price is 179. Okay, but there's I'm sure there's no liquidity on this. Uh, these red you pay twenty five dollars for, and of course all of the proceeds go to 100 percent of the uh, the revenue. I, I should say go to support national. Uh, go to support AIDS and HIV affected by by that disease so super cool there and see, uh, there's, there's, there's still time there's 195 owners of it and there's and there's 250 total left so that's 55 of these ones left and you say there's no liquidity on it but that's because no one's buying a 180 dollar nft that they can go and buy for 150 dollars right yeah that's yeah that's no liquidity well, there you go. So uh, anyway, there's still an opportunity to do that and just enter your email address. Again, no gas fees. Uh, so quick PSA there, that's the status. David, I wanna ask you the question I ask you before all of these episodes, which is what is the state of the nation today? Oh, the state of the nation today, Ryan, is learning. 
We are learning. We're learning every single Bankless episode, but we're learning a lot. Sam had a lot to teach us. He's a great teacher. He's a great orator. Uh, and so the, uh, I just felt like I was uh, in the middle of like a, both a history lesson and a lesson in, in finance and economics. And it's my favorite type of show when, when uh, I, I am not only learning, but also being entertained at the same time. And so um, the state of the nation today, Ryan, is learning. All right, great episode. Learn with us, guys, on the State of the Nation. We'll be right back with Sam. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless Nation, we are super excited to introduce our next guest, uh, Sam Kazmian. He's the founder of Fra Frax Finance. A lot of Fs there. Uh, he previously got into crypto, same way David Hoffman, my co-host, did, via GPU mining. He also worked on the decentralized Wikipedia project Everpedia. But in 2019, he started this really interesting algorithmic slash hybrid stablecoin project called Frax Finance, which is the topic of today's show, because we're going to talk about stablecoins, maybe some of the stablecoin wars that are going on and what Sam thinks of the situation. Sam, welcome to Bankless. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This is uh, awesome. Uh, huge uh, listener and um, you know excited to be on, discuss everything, stablecoins, crypto economics. Awesome. Well, um, we're going to get, I think, in the back half of this conversation to some of what people are calling the stablecoin wars uh, with the introduction of this four pool on Curve and sort of what that means. But um, I, I think we should start with maybe uh, maybe maybe the top explaining fracks a little bit. Um, but before we do, I want to talk, maybe get some context on why the stablecoins are in, in in the focus of all of crypto right now. So there seems to be like this narrative of, of stablecoin wars and a lot of conversation around UST these days and algorithmic stablecoins. This wasn't the case in 2019 when you started Frax, right? Like stablecoins weren't as talked about and certainly algorithmic stablecoins weren't in the limelight. Why do you think everyone is having this conversation now, Sam? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's a great question. So like you said, I've been in the crypto space for a uh, while, kind of like how uh, David got into it. I got in around 2013, 2014-ish. Um, yeah, I was at UCLA, a college student, and uh, I started kind of just mining uh, cryptocurrencies. Dogecoin was actually the first one uh, I started mining. I still remember, uh, you know, being like one of the first people to sign up for the uh, ETH newsletter when it was announced in like 2014, <laughs> when, uh, when, you know, Vitalik started talking about uh, ETH and back then it was uh, counterparty and colored coins were the thing, right? As, as you guys probably remember. Um, and stable coins were not even in the conceptual like framework back then, right? The earliest thing that's kind of, I think I like to call the uh, uh, stablecoin white paper is uh, Robert Sams' signerage shares white paper, which some people might have read. Uh, I actually like to call it like it's one of the most kind of like important pieces in, in like stablecoin design because it introduced the two token system of, you know, you have a stable coin on a blockchain and then you have a, a share token or like, you know, the volatile token that represents, you know, future cash flow or signage or whatever. And you could try to stabilize these things. And that was even before, you know, smart contracts came out. His thing, his, his white paper was about uh, proof of work blockchain. You just have a proof of work blockchain and, and, you know, you have two tokens in it instead of, you know, one, one volatile one. Um, and so, the industry has come a really, really long way, right? And and just like how 
there's uh, really important trends that you know it, you know grow exponentially, like DeFi summer 2020, right? Like all of the yield farming DeFi primitives and, and all these things, and then NFTs. I think the next big thing is is uh, stable coins, and the reason for that is I think the the infrastructure and the ability to launch your own you know uh, stable asset is finally mature enough to have that kind of Cambrian explosion, right? Like I actually like to kind of say there's you can now uh, there's like a WordPress of stable coins now, right? You can you can create your you just you need like a deep curve pool or you need V3 pool or something, some really concentrated liquidity. You have to make sure to give enough yield uh, there. And it's like a cookie cutter playbook now, right? The infrastructure is there, just like how the infrastructure for NFTs with OpenSea and minting and, and generative art and stuff uh, was there. And then you have this kind of curve, right? We're, we're at the point where you have the infrastructure to kind of cookie cutter uh, stable coins. So there's going to be a Cambrian explosion of uh, these kinds of things, I think, in the next you know, from now until the next like 12 months, basically. Do, do you think um, we had a guest recently who said uh, stablecoin is crypto's killer app? Would you go as far as to say that like stablecoin is the big thing that, um, you know, crypto is meant to deliver? I think stablecoins are one of the three uh, trillion dollar narratives of crypto. And I think the three trillion dollar narratives are Bitcoin, ETH and stablecoins. <laughs> that that's my that's my uh, view, and so that's why I got really interested in stablecoins. That's why I've like kind of uh, I look at it from a historical point of view, like you know the first you know stablecoin white paper, you know this and where Frax falls in line and Maker and, and all these things. I try to actually st almost study it like a like a, a evolution, right? And um, I think it is a trillion dollar narrative, and so uh, I actually am uh, the, of the belief, like for example. Bitcoin is, is a different kind of asset and ETH is a different kind of asset and stable coins are a different kind of asset. And all three have such large uh, potential that they're the three, in my opinion, multi-trillion dollar you know, narratives, the T, the T uh, size uh, narratives of crypto. People have spent their entire careers focusing in on stable coins when there's so much to pay attention to in the crypto industry. Uh, sometimes people just get compelled by stable coins and that's just the thing that they are interested in. And in a, inside of that, algorithmic stable coins have had their own very rich history in the crypto industry. Um, there, there's plenty, plenty of uh, history lessons to learn as algo stable coins have tried to get out the door. There's uh, there's the, the uh, story of basis. Uh, then there's like the exploding stable coins of empty set dollar and dynamic set dollar. Uh, and it really took a while for the algo stable coins to really get their engine revving. Uh, I think Frax being one of the first models of the stable coins that, that uh, kind of algorithmic stable coins that really started to work and then UST being the second one. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but we've never seen a pure algo stable coin actually work. Um, uh, Frax has algorithmic components, UST has algorithmic components, but they all step away from the purely algorithmic stablecoin model. And I'm wondering if you think that the algo stablecoin model is actually impossible, um, just based on perhaps some of the design decisions of, that goes into algo stablecoins. Like, do you think it's at all possible to produce a purely algorithmic stablecoin? Uh, that's a good question. In fact, I think uh, a short story uh, about central banking is, is like 
uh, a good way to frame this conversation. And uh, I actually got this short story from uh, JP Koning's blog, who's like a, a money blogger. But basically, uh, this should kind of answer your question. Um, this is like a short story about a, a central bank. Uh, so it goes like this. At the beginning, there's a central bank and they issue pieces of paper that say one ounce of gold on them, right? And everyone's familiar with this, right? And every single day, there's a redemption window at the central bank physically, right? And people are able to come and give their pieces of paper uh, to the central bank to get an ounce of gold for each one, okay? And the, the next part of the story goes that uh, the central bank says that, hey, there's a two-month renovation at the central bank, and so we have to close the redemption window. Uh, but the gold is all there for every one piece of paper that says an ounce of gold. There's an ounce of gold at the central bank, but we're closing redemptions for two months because the central bank has uh, renovations, and it's going to open after two months. Okay? After two months, the central bank officials come and say, Okay, actually, uh, the renovations are taking much longer than we thought. Uh, it's going to take six months more, and the central bank is still closed. But we can't just have these pieces of paper that say they have one ounce of gold written on them, not trade for uh, an ounce of gold, right? Uh, especially because you know there haven't been redemptions for two months. So what we're going to do is every day the central bank officials are going to go in the central bank, grab some of the gold go out into the trading markets and, and buy and sell the pieces of paper for an ounce of gold from the gold that they take out of the central bank, aka they're going to provide liquidity at the exchange rate of these pieces of paper. And every day they're going to go back and get more gold if they need to, or they're going to buy more of the piece of paper for an ounce of gold to make sure that the exchange rate of the pieces of paper that say an ounce of gold stay there, but no redemptions, right? This, the central bank is under construction, no redemptions, no one-to-one -one, uh, getting from the central bank, but the gold is still there. It's all it's all one-to-one -one backed by, by gold. Uh, okay, so after the six months of the renovation uh, turnaround and, and six months later, the central bank comes out and says, okay, look, uh, there's actually not one-to-one -one gold in the central bank, we actually lent it out during construction and uh, sold some of it. But we have assets. We've, we've sold it out for uh, loans, bonds, and these things. Uh, we have some gold, which is what we're continuing to go every day and, and market make the pieces of paper so that they are always worth an ounce of, of gold per, per piece of paper. But we don't have one ounce of gold for every single piece of paper in the open market. So Construction is done, but no more redemptions. We don't. There's no more redemption window. No one can come to the central bank and actually ask to be redeemed for. But we will keep doing the thing we're doing, whereas we take some of the gold we have in. We're going to go buy and sell pieces of paper for an ounce of gold. We have a commitment. We're a central bank. We're the largest market player in the entire economy. We will make sure those pieces of paper trade at an exchange rate of an ounce of gold per piece of paper. And so after a while, right, the final part of this story, and, and one, one thing I actually want to say here is, is uh, the, the gold standard that everyone talks about, right, like 1972 when Nixon took uh, the dollar off the gold standard, the gold standard everyone really likes is this part of the story right now where there's, you can't redeem dollars for, for the, the actual backing because there isn't one-to-one -one at Fort Knox. There isn't enough gold ever, right? But the government has a complete, uh, you know, 
duty to maintain the exchange rate of, of the piece of paper as best they can, right? Uh, so where does our story end, right? The, the final part is after a while, right? The central bank says, okay, look, it's really hard to uh, keep these pieces of paper that say an ounce of gold pegged at an exchange rate of an ounce of gold with very little gold. We, we sold most of the gold. We have a bunch of loans that are making money, but, but that's not gold, right? The, the prices of those things change and stuff. So what we're going to do is forget that one ounce of gold per piece of paper. We were no longer going to market make at that price and guarantee that. What we're going to do is that we realize that an industrialized economy the most important thing is not that our pieces of paper are you know, pegged to an ounce of gold. What we have to make sure to do is the people that are getting paid in these pieces of paper, we need to make sure what is the most important thing in an industrialized economy that people need, such as food, such as rent, medical care, cars, electronics, you know, just good consumer items, right? Things that keep your standard of living the same. You need to be able to afford medical care, rent, all of this stuff. And what we're going to actually do is we're going to compile all the prices of those things against this piece of paper. And uh, if the price of those things are, are going up, right, then what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to buy some of the piece of paper back uh, with the assets that we have, which is very little gold, but a bunch of other stuff, right? And if the economy is becoming more and more productive, so more food is being produced and, and more cars and all these things, and the, and the prices of those things are going down actually, uh, what we'll do is we'll just print more pieces of paper, right? To make sure the price actually uh, stays uh, the, the same, right? And so we'll buy more balance sheet assets. Forget the, the, the gold exchange rate, right? And that's what happened after 1972, right? And uh, I wanted to tell this, this story to actually frame this, this full conversation about stablecoins because obviously uh, this is actually the full true story of central banking evolution, right? You, you start with one-to-one -one redemption and then you, you stop the redemption. You say you can't actually come to the central bank and get stuff from us. And then that's when the central bank can be like, we can sell some of it, right? There's no longer need one-to-one. -one. We can invest it in stuff and make money, but we have to make sure we have some to market make and make sure the exchange rate is always the same thing we want. And then you start realizing, or the, the, uh, the government starts realizing like, holy crap, it's really hard to keep the uh, peg of something when you don't have a lot of that thing, right? And then they're like, it's actually much better to just peg to a consumer basket of items. And that does actually have obviously certain advantages, right? But back to the stablecoin question, the reason I, I wanted to say this is that every financial thing, including stablecoins, evolves somewhat similarly and has properties of these things. Uh, you look at, for example, Tether, 
right? Tether started out as saying, look, we have pieces of paper, they're called USDT tokens, and each of them have $1 behind them, right? After a while, Tether was like, okay, uh, actually, you can't redeem them anymore because, like, you just, just promise that, that, that we will keep the exchange rate the same, but you can't redeem them from us. Only some people can or whatever. And then after a while, they're like, actually, we don't have one-to-one, -one, uh, like, dollars for the pieces of, you know, paper or USDT tokens, right? It all looks the same, and obviously, like, there's, there's like, laws that, uh, are passed as a society where people are like, uh, look, if you issue a piece of paper that say like there's something behind them, right? You need at least 10% of that thing, at least, right? Otherwise, uh, you're committing a crime, right? It's called reserve requirements, right? And so um, back to your question, uh, I think it's interesting because at first, people thought that you could have algorithmic stablecoins with absolutely no anything, right? Like, like the equivalent of this would be a, the, the central bank with zero gold with them saying uh, the, the pieces of paper have to have one ounce of gold, you know, exchange rate. That's, that's not going to happen, right? Like that. So the answer to that, I think, is, is no unless there's you know, a, a lot of market making going on. So someone's got to pay for it, right? And so that's actually where Frax falls in line here is like, we like to call ourselves the inventor of the, the fractional stablecoin, right? And the, the thing is, Frax is named after that. It, the name is a portmanteau of the word fractional and algorithmic, right? And the idea behind it is it actually sits right in the, the kind of uh, second to last point, which is you can have a fractional banking system that works pretty well. Obviously, there's constraints, right? If you don't have enough of the thing, things start to fall apart, right? But most of our financial system revolves around the fact that if you keep a currency stable, you need some of it, right? You need some of the gold if you're pegging to gold. You need something very, 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 very similar to uh, dollar equivalents if you are pegging to a dollar. But you can have an algorithmic, you know, supply or expansion contraction kind of thing. And that's what Frax did. Frax actually invented that before Frax. No one else was talking about that. Uh, and, you know, I think if there's one thing uh, in terms of crypto economic design that, you know, uh, we're hopefully going to be known for is that uh, we invented the fractional, you know, algorithmic design. And one thing is that we've never broken our peg and our definition of the peg is one cent uh, of uh, one cent on each side. So one dollar and one and ninety nine uh, zero cents. And we only look at like on chain stuff because all of our liquidity is on chain. So like centralized exchanges can trade whatever they want. But on Uniswap, on Curve, which we're the largest pool on uh, Uniswap, we're number five or six. Uh, we have never broken our peg and we have billions of dollars of liquidity uh, on chain. So like that's one thing we're very proud of that we've uh, we've designed. So that's kind of where Frax falls along. Sam, I think we want to get into the design of, of uh, Frax a little bit uh, more, but that was a really, really interesting story. And I think for, for a lot of people, yeah. Great. I they, thoroughly enjoyed that. <laughs> that was lovely. Um, JP Koning, by the way, is uh, you know really fantastic on this space. Interesting, sometimes JP Koning is um, crypto skeptical, which I actually enjoy as well. But, you know, uh, the story also reminded me of um, this, this chart from Ray Dalio. I don't know, Sam, if you've ever seen this, right? It's like he's like the, the macro cycles of money where you start with the hard money, 
like metal coins. And then society inevitably goes to claims on hard money. So from type one, hard money to type two, claims on hard money, which is banknotes. And then you get to type three, which is, which is fiat money, which is the US dollar today, where it's not really backed by any claim on hard money. It's certainly not hard money. And it strikes me in crypto, we have all three of these experiments kind of brewing at the same time. We have the hard money, which would be, you know, the, the first two pillars of, of trillion dollar use cases, you might say, which is the Bitcoin and ETH. And there are maybe some other examples in crypto of hard money. And then you've got the claims on hard money. And then you've got like fiat money. And I'm wondering like what 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 Frax is in this? Is it sort of a, a type two claim on hard money, would you say? It's it's certainly not full um, type three. Uh, fiat money, where it's you know more kind of algorithmic, uh, is it something more like you know a claim on hard money? Yeah, so th this is actually a, a great uh, thing as well. The, the the cool part about the story, like, like uh, you're saying, is we can actually ask that question, right? Like, where in the story that we just talked about it, does this fiat money come into play? Is it where you can no longer redeem the uh, pieces of paper that say you know an ounce of gold for gold from the issuing entity or is it when uh, you know the issuing entity says that they no longer have one-to-one -one behind it but they'll do everything they can with the assets that they have to maintain the exchange rate in the open market is that where fiat money is or uh, I think personally so uh, for, from the question I think it's when you as, as like a government say okay uh, we're no longer maintaining even an exchange rate to something that's hard, right? Something that is, you know, mm. something like gold and doing something like the basket of uh, consumer goods. Because that, like, when people talk about the gold standard, right, when Nixon took us off and stuff, the U.S. government did not have enough gold for the circulating <laughs> supply of like the, the the money stock right the monetary base there's uh and so the way they were doing it is they're just stabilizing the exchange rate right and i think that right now most people would think that fiat money is when you just completely float against an exchange rate of like any hard asset right and so uh, that's interesting because, as you guys uh, probably know and we'll talk about, we have, Frax is a two-stablecoin system, right? There's the Frax price index that we actually released last week. Uh, but I think that Frax basically right now is um, partial hard, uh, claims on, on like hard money, right? Because we have hard assets, right? And we try to keep an exchange rate to, to the dollar. Can we um can we actually look at this? I know David David wants to get to like more talk about stable coins more in general. There's more, more triangles, triangles more trilemmas ahead of us. But um, just really quick, so so we understand. So I'm I'm pulling up uh, app.frax.finance. This is sort of a chart of Frax and FXS and a, a few other things. I'm wondering if you could just kind of decompose us a little bit. So we see here Frax. We see this number market cap of two point six billion dollars we see this other uh, number over here of 85 percent collateralization ratio we also see this other asset called fxs which is a 1.8 billion um market cap can you explain some of the things that we're seeing on on the dashboard so that folks can understand frax with with the numbers and what it's actually composed of yeah, definitely. So Frax launched with just two tokens, Frax and FXS, all the way until last week, actually, when we launched the, the Frax price index stablecoin. So 
Frax is just the dollar stablecoin. Each Frax is, is $1, super simple, uh, pr price is great. Um, Frax Shares is the uh, governance token of the Frax ecosystem. And it's actually named after the Robert Sam's white paper that I think is a historical one because it's called Signer Shares. We named this Frax Shares. Um, and so that's just the governance token. The collateral ratio there is actually the hard assets that are in the reserve or in the smart contracts in the series of you know system smart contracts uh we started out a hundred percent as you can see and then quickly kind of stabilized or kind of moved around between 90 to 80 uh and those are the hard assets that the protocol can can lay claims to a lot of them are curve lp tokens as you could see right on under the uh value there a lot of them are collateral from lending operations, which we call uh, AMOs, algorithmic market operations. Those are just very similar to MakerDAO, right? You, you have a bunch of fracs that you can uh, borrow, right? And, and you collateralize it with, uh, over collateralize it with ETH or, or everything else, right? So that's kind of like the, the, the MakerDAO die kind of system. The algorithmic section is the section that is kind of the supply is expanded and contracted based on minting uh, or burning uh, frac share tokens, right? Like the, the actual governance token. Some people like to call it um, frax is 100% collateralized, but there's just some of it that's collateralized by its own governance token. These are, it, it's, it's not just uh, semantic, but I think it's important to think about like, I would never say like something is necessarily backed by itself because like you can't say like the dollar is collateralized by other dollars at the federal reserve i don't know it's just it seems a little nonsensical help us understand that again so these curve amos these are curve lp tokens right so these would be composed of other stable coins basically yeah. <clears throat> basically yes, it's a yield bearing stable coin position right yes exactly That's so die usdc uh us like tether that sort of thing plus yes. trading fees and curve exactly and and okay. crv emissions and cvx emissions That's got it. it and this liquidity amos you said that was more like maker dow collateral so those are like protocol and liquidity so like we have like you know some eth as collateral that we okay. we don't keep idle in a smart contract we actually like deploy in like a you know uniswap pair or other places like and dive uniswap v3 lp positions exactly exactly so there's a lot of protocol and liquidity just outside of curve um and and we're on many chains so a lot of these are actually on different chains that are like natively protocol owned liquidity fraxes uh mintable and issued on 12 different chains a lot of them evm and l2s um like arbitrum optimism polygon uh, moonbeam you know phantom all of these things so a lot of that is on those other chains as well cool and this this algorithmic section which is about like i don't know 15 percent or so is that about right that's, that's the unbacked side that's the unbacked side or it's or it's backed by the value of x uh FXS, which is the, basically the Frax governance token. Um, now, if you were to contrast this with like UST, for example, UST would be like almost entirely this algorithmic type section, which is like all kind of Luna tokens, aside from maybe you might start to count the, the reserves, the Bitcoin reserves that the LFG group purchased recently. Is that the contrast? off-chain LFG group. Yes. Yeah, I, I would say that that's that's correct. Like, in fact, you know, um, I think a lot of stablecoin projects, especially 
Terra, which is like the, the largest decentralized one currently, are seeing there's a lot of you know important strengths to the fractional model, right? So yeah, I think that basically before the Bitcoin announcement, this if you were to make this chart with, with Terra, most of it would be black, right? Most of it would be algorithmic, right? And now there would be a big slice. Uh, I'm not actually exactly sure. I think it's like anywhere between 10 to 30% or something like that would be Bitcoin, right? It would basically, uh, there would be a slice of, of Bitcoin. It's funny because we see UST moving in your direction. They're moving more in the, the like fractionalized direction and less algorithmic. So it's almost like, I, I don't know if Frax is moving more algorithmic, but they're certainly coming more towards your design. Yeah, I mean, so we, so like I said, one, our, our name is literally after the fractional stuff we, we invented, but I don't really even think we, we like own the idea or anything. I think what's interesting is, like I said, financial evolution has the same kind of uh, evolutionary pressures. It's just economic, right? So I like as, as things progress, right, in, in like an economy, they start looking the same in terms of what the, the kind of right answer is in terms of efficiency and and kind of like how everything will work i think i think most things will look a lot like this the only difference is like what collateral ratio they'll they'll keep stuff at right and in fact you know you you could argue that you know MakerDAO, for example is is not algorithmic it's it's over collateralized but the other way that i like to compare you know MakerDAO actually is that going back to our kind of central bank story right MakerDAO started with a very fundamentally sound thing, right? They were like, we're going to issue pieces of paper that uh, say a dollar, but like we can't actually hold dollars, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to back the pieces of paper with like $2 worth of other stuff. For every $1, $1 that we have, a uh, piece of paper that needs to be a dollar, we're going to have $2 of other things, right? Or like a loan on $2 basically. Um, after a while, again, everyone, whether you come from the algorithmic side of like 0% or the MakerDAO side of like over collateralized, the theme here is you start realizing it's extremely difficult to issue pieces of paper that have an exchange rate for something without holding a substantial amount of that thing. Right. And so that is part of the reason why, you know, the closest thing to, you know, dollars uh usdc is is both maker is, has exposure to it and as as do we right like you can you can look and there's there's curve lp tokens in this stat and so for example even terra right like terra works with uh jump and all of the largest market makers right if you don't have the you know the actual asset in your central bank you know inside of the building or whatever right you have to at least pay someone that does to go out into the market, right? And and like, you know, make sure that the unit is, is trading at uh, that amount, right? And so it's like, like jump is absolutely massive, right? They're absolutely huge. Like if you recall the, the wormhole, like uh, the unfortunate, which was really, really unfortunate. I was saddened to see that, but the wormhole hack of like, what was it? 300 million or something ETH. Uh, jump was like, I right, no problem. Here's 300 million. Uh, let's let's you know, uh, let's make everyone whole, which was great and respectable. The same place where all that money comes from is also the same place that you know market makes the the biggest of uh, stablecoin markets, right? And so the thing is, if you want to actually autonomously and internally be a central bank, 
which I think Terra is going to be the biggest and most impressive one with Frax and probably Maker, right? And, and us, you know, these are the big three right now. You need to actually have uh, stuff to, to, to go out and do that, right? You need to have the, the actual assets, the hard assets, rather than uh, having other people kind of do it. And I think that's where the evolution of this stuff is going, right? Where that's what we're seeing both, honestly, both with Maker, right? With, with Frax, with Terra, with, with everyone, right? And that's, that's the honest truth. Sam, so there's a bunch of different collaterals uh, in the, the Frax reserves, right? And this is the, the ammo that, that Frax has to defend the peg, right? So going back to your story about the credit window, right? Where I've got my Frax tokens and I go to, this, to the Frax decentral bank on Ethereum and I say, hey, I would like some assets. Uh, do, do I get to pick like which of the assets I redeem for, or how does the peg get defended when I come and come with my stable coins of Frax tokens and I, I would like to redeem them? Like, how, how does that work? Yeah, when the when the redemption window is open, which is like if the peg is even one third of a cent off, so like literally point uh, three three of one cent, right? You can actually go and redeem them on, on the redemption tab, and what it is is that you get a mixture of assets, like you could see here if it was open, you get USDC and FXS minted to you at the ratio of the collateral ratio. So that there's never actually, uh, there's never like no reserves, even if you're the last 5% to redeem. Obviously, you know, the, the thing is everyone gets a piece of the FXS, which they sell, right? Which might have like negative price action and, and things like that. But the idea behind the way we've done redemptions is everyone gets a ratio of the balance sheet, right? Mm -hmm. And so it actually is an anti kind of bank run mechanism in the sense that it's not that the first redeemers get, you know, uh, uh, one one USDC per frax or, or one you know dollar worth of assets, and then the last get all of the you know governance token that's like plummeting. It's actually uh, equal, you know, it's egalitarian. And so the collateral ratio, also as you can see is dynamic, right? So the, the cloud ratio has moved up and down uh, across you know, all, all the times that we've uh, launched. And the cloud ratio will go up during times of uh, you know, market you know, turbulence and, and like volatility so that we give back a higher ratio of assets and it'll actually sell uh, FXS you know, to stabilize at that collateral ratio, even if there's no redemption, even if no one's actually redeeming to make sure there's actually like that much assets if the collateral ratio is at, you know, 90%, right? So it's actually been a very good uh, at dampening the, you know, the, what people like to call the reflexive, you know, bank run uh, spiral since we've never had one. Right. Yeah. That, that was one of my questions is, is like, is there risk of people running for the door? Right. And this was a conversation that we had in our UST episode where uh, people are fearful that if there ever is a lack of confidence in UST, there would be a rush for the door. And if you are unfortunately later to get through the door, you end up holding these tokens that don't have any collateral in the reserves. Uh, but what you're doing with, with Frax is saying, well, it doesn't matter if you're first through the door, you get a pro rata share of what you are owed, which disincentivizes going in through the door in the first place. Uh, exactly. So kind of instilling confidence in, in, the, uh, in, this, in the value that you would get uh, in the first place, kind of disincentivizing the actual uh, run on the bank. That's exactly correct. And, and not only that, but if there's uh, times where 
there's uh, a lot of redemptions happening or if the peg is even off by a third of one cent, uh, the collateral ratio uh, will go up, right? Mm -hmm. And so like the actual amount of hard assets and, and uh, you know, the share token you're getting is actually going up. You're getting more hard assets. So it's like an anti-bank run mechanism. And all of these assets here, are these all like sort of on-chain or does, does some entity uh, have to, some off-chain entity have to maintain custody of some of these assets, right? It's like we were, at, we we're talking about USD and the LFG group actually has to maintain custody of uh, Bitcoin. It's not like on-chain, it's not kind of smart contract back. Is this uh, all on-chain or is there a portion yeah, that's it's, not? It's entirely on-chain. In fact, uh, we take an extremely decentralized uh, and, and like autonomous kind of approach and there's no actual legal entity, right? Because because there's Amazing. no off-chain. Uh, yeah, there's no off-chain assets. Everything you see here is not only on-chain but also uh, readily available, right? It's not like oh, there is a there is some assets here. They're on-chain, but like they're over there, and like you know we'll you know we'll we'll go get them or something. It's entirely on the system. Smart contracts. It's entirely uh, readily available in terms of you can actually go see exactly in real time, literally per block where everything is, where, you know, you can. It's uh, amazing. Yeah. It's crazy. You even have to ask that question, Ryan. <laughs> Why? I mean, I, th the reason I have to ask it is because, um, because USD doesn't given. have it on chain. <laughs> well, so what's interesting about this. So, uh, Dave and I just finished up last week. We did a, uh, you know, UST episode, just unpacking that and yeah, learning that. all about it. That's um, it, it, it was, it was, it was a pretty good episode, but like there was kind of the contrast point uh, of sort of. The dichotomy be behind like a MakerDAO type design, a Maker design, and a and a UST design. I guess I walked out of that episode seeing the trade-offs on both sides, right? So one of the strengths of Maker is it's far less prone to like these these tail risk type of events and like depegging in a catastrophe, a run on the bank because it's collateralized, right? So it's for, more safe. For illustration, the collateralization radio ratio that we see, the 85%, which is very strong for an algo stablecoin, MakerDAO is something like 250%. So very, very safe. Right. And so it's got, you know, safety, uh, but the, you know, the, the Maker bear and I guess the UST bull was saying, yeah, cool. It's safe. Good. Nice. Good job, bro. But it's not scalable. It's not scalable at all, right? And so they're saying the UST design, look how fast this thing got to $16 billion. And it's because of this kind of mimetic uh, utility demand sort of aspect. And, and the bear, the UST bear was saying, yeah, cool, but hold on, that's not safe. And it hasn't actually be, been tested. What's interesting about the FRAX design is it sort of maybe takes the best of both worlds or takes a, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, and it says, hey, we want to bring some of the scalability of an algo stablecoin design model without having the tail risk event of like it being fully un uncollateralized and there being a run on the bank that could absolutely wreck this thing. I'm wondering if that is sort of the trade-off space. So is, is Frax more scalable than something like Maker? Uh, and likely a little less safe, but maybe, you know, like acceptable risk parameters. But in, tell me about the scalability profile of something like, like Frax. Is it, it, can it scale in the way that a UST can? 
Yeah, I, I thought that episode was great, by the way. I think that everyone was too polite uh, against each other. I was like, well, I think that, you know, this is a great point. But I, I was like, where's the animosity you see on, on uh, crypto? <laughs> oh, my God. People thought we were like, uh, we were terrible, like ETH maxis asking even the questions no, we asked. That was just the No, it was, it was actually so, uh, it, w- it was actually very polite, in my opinion, uh, for everyone. I think <laughs> I, thought so too. Was, was, <laughs> I thought it was great. Yeah, um, but, but yeah. So, what about the scalability? Yeah. So, I think, like like you said earlier, I think a lot of these uh, stable coins will probably look something like frac- fractional uh, algorithmic, like Frax's model. The mm. question will be like, what collateral ratio, right? Like, what is it? Something that's very conservative fractional. Uh, like Frax, like 85, 86%, or like right now, Terra is moving upwards a little bit. I think there's 10 to 20% BTC. I don't know, they, they're increasing it, that's for sure, right? Um, but it, I think it just depends on the, the actual uh, protocol's aggressive like growth strategy, right? Now, one thing I will say is that um, le- people focus too much on the actual collateral ratio and less on the actual ability to keep the exchange rate of the thing at the the actual desired you know peg right going back to our like story about the the one ounce of gold per piece of paper it's really hard you know it's really really hard and uh let's be real like uh both frax right now and uh maker Frax has less, but but still they have exposure to USDC, right? And, and so Maker has like what 60 something, uh, 60%, 57 or, or something like that. It depends on how much leverage for ETH there is uh, and, and in terms of that. But the reason that's there is because it's really hard to keep an exchange rate to a dollar, even if you have, you know, two dollars of, of other stuff uh, or two dollars worth of loans. and you can't actually still keep an exchange rate without having some of of that thing. And no one's been able to fully exactly figure it out. Now, I will give really big props to to Terra's guys and, and like they're they're really smart and they're really, really, really uh, good at um, strategy and, and getting uh, Terra adoption. The thing is, they obviously have a lot of market making activity from people that have a huge say like interest in in ust working out right they have billions of the the people have like billions of dollars of luna right luna is like the number seven largest uh cryptocurrency right it's it's absolutely massive right and so when you have a lot of other people that have billions of dollars of 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 dollars right and they have as you know a huge interest in making sure to buy and sell the the stable coin at that at that peg right then it becomes a little bit easier right Hmm. But, but when, uh, for example, Frax and, and Maker, what you see on the chain is what you get. We, there's, we have like no, uh, there, there's no market maker, uh, none that we've ever talked to or that I'm aware of that for the, the goodness of their heart is, is like, you know, deciding to uh, keep uh, Frax at, at a dollar peg. And so what you notice is the two stable coins that have every single thing on chain 
uh, they do have some USDC exposure, right? Like, like again, it's very, 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 very difficult to keep uh, a piece of paper that says one ounce of gold trading at an ounce of gold if you don't have a bunch of gold, like a lot of the gold itself, right? Um, but we actually uh, are doing a lot of stuff to lower USDC uh, exposure. In fact, don't quote me on it right now on the spot, but I'm, I'm pretty sure if you actually do the calculation going down underneath, um, again, don't, don't quote me on it now, but I think we have significantly less USDC exposure uh, than, than DAI currently does. I think we have like 40 something or, or low 40s in terms of like actually USDC and Tether exposure when you, when you check the actual lending amounts, the algorithmic amounts, the, the curve pool, which uh, some of it is, is DAI itself as well, right? So like DAI underneath it is half or 50, 60% USDC. But when you go through it, we've actually done a fairly good job of being entirely decentralized and consistently weaning off as much as we can uh, fiat coins, right? USDC and, and Tether. Um, while making sure everything is on chain, everything is what you see is what you get, which is an extremely difficult thing to do. This is really yeah, cool. Decentralization, Maxi and me likes the on chain words. Yeah, same here. I might be getting frax pilled right now. It's uh, <laughs> it's really cool. Um, I I want to just draw our attention to this chart really quick because you said um, there are three you know algo stablecoin designs, and we're looking at them here for people we're seeing on YouTube. This is UST in proportion, uh, looks like a market cap of about $18 billion. So the largest now, and DAI is, is uh, kind of second if you if you sort of count DAI as an algorithmic stablecoin, right? Maybe it's a, a DeFi stablecoin, as some people would say, 9 billion uh, DAI. And then FRAX up here is about $2.7 billion worth. But there's also MIM here, which uh, I didn't realize that has um, gone up as well. This is a 2.7 billion. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, MIM? That's is that uh, Danny Sesta's uh, project? That blew up. Yeah, um, around yeah. MIM. MIM, I think it's an over collateralized model. Actually, we we and this kind of goes back to you know what we were, we might talk about with like stablecoin drama or news and stuff. But uh, we love everyone, um, and and so we tried to work with MIM a while ago, and they weren't really that interested and then uh they i don't know they had the the weird sifu episode or whatever and i think that their uh liquidity is kind of a little bit weird these days but it is an over collateralized model it is fairly uh large um i think that part of the thing is like it's used for a lot of degen leverage right and so this is actually a good example of like you can be over collateralized i believe mim is significantly over 100 percent at least right but it doesn't mean that it's not risky right so that's actually a really good counter example of of like just looking at the cr right of like how much of this thing is immediately redeemable for hard assets like if there was like a redemption window or something doesn't actually give you a very good uh, picture of, of like the the full risk because the risk is is a, an entirely uh, summation of all of the possible market activity right and so for example uh, I think actually to be honest obviously like I think frax is as as safe as as die right um, I, I really do in fact um, I think it you know die is extremely safe I actually think that 
to be honest, I think UST is way more safe than people think. Um, and, and hopefully, the, you know, this is uh, not, you know, people don't think I am saying that because we had the four pool partnership and stuff, because there's a lot of people that have a very strong interest in the UST peg, right? And so even though that's a very difficult thing to measure, right, like it's, it's difficult to model because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to actually quantify. It's it's much safer than what people think about. Uh, like, there's nothing here other than uh, the governance tokens volatility. If that were the actual truth, right? If that was the entire picture, there'd be way more times that the UST peg, something that they would have collapsed in in all of these like you know these crazy uh, downturn you know markets like right when when like whenever we wake up one of those days like and then crypto markets like negative thirty right and everyone's like oh my god right uh, it would have happened way more than that right so I actually think the big three uh, and I like to call the big three is like UST Frax and Dai they are much safer. Uh, than, than people actually think. Uh, that's my personal opinion. One last piece, Sam, because we talked about this in our UST episode. Of course, like um, part part of the backing of UST is a big part of the backing is the the Luna token itself, which is driven by like utility value, right? Which is, of course, we've talked about this in uh, layer one chains. But presumably, aside from kind of the meme uh, monetary store of value potential behind the Luna token, there's also some utility of Luna being used in uh, in the Luna ecosystem, right? What are the drivers of um, FXS price? Like, why would why would that go up or or down in terms of, of value? Is it, is it purely sort of like meme value, monetary premium value? Are there some fees that uh, FXX uh, holders get? Can you tell us about the drivers behind this? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the FXS token can be staked as as VEFXS. So a lot of people that are familiar with Curve uh, know that this is a uh, model that's fairly popular. And what that is is you come and you can yes exactly you come and you can stake uh, your FXS tokens for anywhere between one week to four years. Once you stake them, you can't transfer them, right? You you actually they're they're staked. They're not tokenized. Uh, and then you have a VEFXS balance proportional to you know how long you've uh, staked your uh, FXS tokens, and you actually get cash flow from the profit of the market operations of, of FRAX. We call them algorithmic market operations. And you could see right now the APR is 4.74% is uh, down there. Um, it goes anywhere between, you know, uh, three to like 20%, depending on how profitable things are and, and yield opportunities that the protocol is actually conducting stabilizing market operations in. Um, and this is entirely uh, self-sufficient actual profit, not token emissions, not inflation. Um, and like one statistic that I, I put out is like, so Frax is about 2.7 billion supply. The protocol makes about right around $200 million of annual revenue. Oh my God. Hmm. Yeah. That's and, a yeah, and, strong ratio. Well, yeah. we, we, we in, in our USC conversation, apologies to keep going back to that, but I think it's useful context. So just let, let, let me say to everyone's listening, uh, if you haven't listened to our bull and bear case of UST, go listen to that because I think that's also helpful to understand this entire sector. But one conversation we had, it's a big driver of UST value and market uh, market cap, I think has been the 20% um, yields. 
that are being distributed from the the anchor protocol on on the Terra network. And um, the conversation there is that that's basically marketing spend, right? So like the jump capitals of the world, we're not sure exactly who the sources are, but those who are incented to push out UST into the world are subsidizing that and heavily subsidizing that at the 20% rate. It's not necessarily long-term sustainable to do that, but maybe it's worth it for now. This 4.7%, that that's not coming from the like marketing spend, right. um, large not at all. Not at all. Not issuance, entirely not cash flow. Yeah. yeah, that is entirely cash flow. Wow, all on-chain cash flow then. That's Economic cool. sustainability. You love to see it. Love to see it. Very good. Uh, Sam, just a, a last few set of questions before we get into the uh, the spicy side, the four pool, the stablecoin wars, and why Do why you think Doquan has it out against Dai. We'll talk about that. But first, just the, the re remaining roadmap uh, that's on, on the uh, on the roadmap for for Frax. Let's talk about that. Uh, can you explain what the FPI is uh, and what it is, how it works, and and how it helps uh, increase the adoption for Frax? Yeah, definitely. Um, the FPI is the second stablecoin in the the Frax ecosystem. Um, it's the first ever uh, stablecoin pegged to the CPI, a consumer uh, price index, which is the prices of a basket of consumer items. Um, in fact, we we started working on this last year, um, and last week, it, coincidentally, we uh, launched, and and it was a very successful launch, and it was uh, hotly anticipated. Um, Again, going back to kind of the grand vision, right? Like the thing I said, stablecoins are, are the third trillion dollar narrative of, of crypto. The evolution of stablecoins will probably look like the evolution of, of central banking, right? And remember the last part of the story of the, the central bank was that after a while they said, okay, uh, let's not actually peg to some external exchange rate that, that we can't control. Let's peg to an exchange rate that is our definition as like a society and a government of, of like a, a standard of living of like items that we we want this, you know, piece of paper to be able to afford. Right. Um, and that's where the FPI is like the FPI is basically, uh, in my opinion, like the final evolution of stable coins on chain. Uh, we'll probably see a lot of uh, stablecoin projects kind of taking inspiration from like the FPI design. In fact, we are uh, working with Volt uh, protocol, which is uh, um, led by Kirk and, and uh, a few of the guys uh, close to Faye, um, which is another project. And I think there will be a lot more of, of, of these and that's a great thing, right? And again, like I think evolution, no matter you know what you think about it, it's going to evolve in, in that direction, right? And I think it's really powerful because we're going to basically be able to be kind of the, the Bitcoin of a self-sovereign peg, right? And so the idea is at the beginning, we're going to have the CPI uh, of the federal government, right? And that's a lot of people have a problem with that. They think it understates inflation or, or all this stuff. Uh, eventually, the idea is having the weights of the, the basket of goods be entirely uh, governed on chain, right? Like basically a, a self-sovereign economy with a self-sovereign definition of standard of living and, and inflation, right? Inflation is defined as uh, the actual price divergence of the currency you use against the basket of items, right? Against mm. the, the thing that you need. That's exactly what the Fed actually defines inflation to be, right? And coincidentally, uh, today, 
was the you know fed and bls.gov report on cpi right which is every month the u.s uh government releases the prices of the basket of consumer goods right in dollars and the inflation rate is defined as what are the prices of those things in dollars compared to what were the prices of those things last month in dollars right if the prices of those things went up if you need more dollars to afford the same things as, as you did last month there is an inflation of the dollar right it, its value is going down you need more dollars for the same consumer goods and coincidentally uh you know today is i think the highest cpi uh reading of in like 45 50 years in in the united states which is very concerning obviously um but that basically means that in the past 30 days the value of those pieces of paper to what they were supposed to track is uh not doing very well right can i just break this down for people right so it's like crypto has just produced something really cool and new in the fpi and in frax right so Everyone saw the headline. It was a headline around the world this week. Uh, CPI now 8.5%. So, and that that's a lower bound estimate, as Sam just said, but your dollar is worth 8.5% less than it was a year ago at this time. So did you get an 8.5% raise in your paycheck? And the answer for just about everyone is probably no, I didn't. Maybe I got a 2 or 3% if I'm lucky. Well, you lost money. You lost 5% yeah, as you're a making result. Less money every you're making less year money going forward. Yeah. By holding it in the dollar, you're making less money. And by getting your, your uh, paycheck denominated in the dollar, you're actually making less unless you've got a raise to compensate. So what does crypto produce? This thing called FPI, which doesn't actually track the dollar. It, attract, it uh, tracks CPI inflation. So that 8.5% that everyone's like, oh shit, I just lost 8.5%. If you held an FPI, you would have actually been neutral. You wouldn't have lost that 8.5%. If you got paid in FPI, you would still preserve your purchasing power versus getting paid in the dollar. That's something new that crypto is producing that no other system on the planet is producing. Because uh, central banks don't produce that. Like, mm -hmm. They're not in tune with uh, what consumers actually want and, and demand. And uh, this is what's so neat about this project. Yeah, and and that's exactly correct. And so, like, uh, that you said it better than me, actually. Um, and and so the thing is, uh, that's exactly what it is. Uh, we actually just launched it uh, last week, and I, you know, we see a lot of people minting FPI. You can mint it with Frax uh, at the actual peg price. So, like, obviously, the growth of the FPI stablecoin will be going higher and higher as the the actual peg tracks CPI itself, right? In fact. It's, it's kind of interesting because it's almost like currently, it's almost like a dollar stable coin that is growing uh, at the inflation rate because we use the exact same CPI basket as the Fed uses for the dollar, right? Now, obviously, right, the trillion dollar vision here, again, is like eventually crypto is, is this self-sovereign digital global economy we can vote on the weights of those things right and then at that point the fpi could float against the dollar it could grow higher than what the fed defines as inflation or lower i mean, it depends on what they vote on. i think we'll take it i mean projection from even the 8.5 percent in this in this climate this is like back to the 1970s that like that that's that's definitely worth it and i guess the one dependency that this is introducing as well is this um connected to like a chain link oracle or something like that to get the cpi data on chain 
Yeah, so it actually uses a custom Chainlink Oracle that we, we designed with uh, Chainlink and, and Volt uh, projects. Um, and the good news there is like, there's usually two issues with oracles, right? One is the actual publisher, right? That needs to be honest. And then two is the place they're getting the actual data uh, correct, right? And so since we're using the, the government currently, right? It's unlikely the government is gonna lie about what the government actually says. It's more about like, is what the government is saying, is it uh, you know unbiased or non-political? Uh, that is obviously just gonna be fixed when there's on-chain you know, ability to uh, have governance on, on the CPI gauge. All right, guys, so that was the deep dive into the fracks. Uh, got way deeper than I thought we were going. And because we got excited. Because we got excited. <laughs> and uh, like we always say, uh, we haven't said it recently, so I'll say it here. Crypto is always speed running the history of money and finance. Uh, and fracks really seems to be like skipping right to the right to the end, like right to the point of the frontier. Uh, so that's really what, what gets me excited about this story. In the second half of the show, we got to talk about um, some of the current events going on because uh, Do Kwan's recent proposal uh, for the Curve 4 report uh, is uh, cause eventually the, the FXX token, the FRAX token, to go from $22 to over $40 inside of a day. Uh, and so now there's a bunch of just like clamor about what's going on in the four pool. So we're going to get to those subjects and also just the long-term equilibrium of the stablecoin wars or what Sam thinks that the long-term equi equilibrium is going to be right after we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. All right, guys, and we are back. This is a tweet that Do Kwan put out at the very start of this month, and he, he writes, introducing the four pool between Frax Finance, TFL, Redacted, pretty much we own all the CVX, the governance tokens for Curve. Uh, and he's introducing the four pool, uh, a new Curve stablecoin liquidity pool between uh, UST, Frax, USDC, and Tether. And he says, the Curve wars are over, all emissions are going to the four pool. Uh, and so this is one of the spicier tweets that's come out lately because it's uh, what it's doing is it's removing a lot of liquidity from DAI and it's redirecting the liquidity from the former dominant three pool out of curve and pointing and saying it's going to be pointed towards this four pool, which instead of DAI, the dominant decentralized stablecoin inside of Ethereum, it's pointing it towards UST, a decentralized stablecoin that is non-native to Ethereum, Frax, another decentralized stablecoin that's on Ethereum, and then uh, USCC and Tether. Uh, and so, um, first off, Sam, uh, did, did this surprise you? This proposal surprise you? Well, so so first, yeah, I think some background. Uh, no, it didn't surprise me because I've been talking with, with Doe for a while. Um, Doe, I, as I think everyone knows, is one of the smartest and most ambitious guys in, in the entire space. I mean, t Luna is... Like I said before, literally one of the largest uh, cryptocurrencies in the entire space, in the entire industry, right? Um, I, I've known Doe since like 2018-ish, right? When they like started uh, Terra, we briefly talked about stable coins and stuff. And then, you know, we went off and, and worked on our own things. And one of the things that's really impressive about Doe uh, that I, I think a lot of people um, might not get is like, He's a very, very good strategist, but also, you know, taking everything literally, uh, and I think Jose said this too, right? Like, I don't think uh, he straight up means the, you know, the classic meme of it's not like I should succeed, but it's everyone else should die or fail. You know, I, I don't think you, sh you should take that super seriously in, in that literal way. Um, but 
the the backstory here with the four pool is that we are frax and terra are are very methodical and aggressive about how we want to grow and and actually permeate right if, if you're a currency issuer which is what terra is and, and frax is and maker is right uh you want to get your currency out where there's economic activity so people can uh, take debts denominated in your currency they can uh, trade in your currency they can hold your currency they can save in your currency they can do all of these things right and there's multiple ways to do that, but at the end of the day, this the success of how big a currency is is how much of economic activity and people are actually using uh, your thing, right? And and a good mixture of it, right? Like everyone's using UST right now to save and anchor. Again, like it's it's great, um, but you, we need to get like uh, if you're a currency issuer, you need to get your currency everywhere else. We're willing to do really big things with the four pool, like like basically giving uh, a lot of yield, working with other projects to actually uh, use four pool as the as their meta pool of choice and curve. Like I said, curve is kind of like the the WordPress of stable coins or making pegged assets, whether it's stable coins or ETH and Steeth or whatever, right? And and like correlated assets. Curve is a really important piece of infrastructure because it's basically allowed this kind of Cambrian explosion of, of these projects to evolve. We want to support that. We want to actually give incentives and actually spend part of the uh, money that Frax makes, right? Or part of the money that, you know, Terra's foundation and, and they all have access to, right? And there's there's nothing wrong with Maker not wanting to do the same thing with DAI. There's, you know, and so, for example, I'm not going to come up here and be like, uh, I, I hate Maker and, and stuff. And, and actually, uh, I think I tweeted like, if Maker does want to actually do a, a like die four pool, we will give Maker the same thing we're willing to spend on every other uh, project. And uh, I actually, I know the Maker guys, you know, I talked to Nick uh, at Maker, I've talked to Seb, I've talked to a bunch of them. Uh, they're all great guys, they have different uh, execution opinions. Uh, I've tried before to see if there's like appetite for like a, a Frax PSM or just kind of a lot of different things. And I think they take a very uh, thorough, slow, methodical and I don't want to really say like bureaucratic but sometimes it might feel that way uh, approach to to governance and things like that and it never really went anywhere because I think there was, it was just kind of lukewarm uh, you know um, desire for it and but Doe and I have a really good relationship and like we like to strategize we like to move fast yes our, our kind of like risk to growth tolerance is, is higher um, I don't think that means we're in in any case like enemies um, or not. At least at least I'll come up here and say like Frax is is not. Um, but but it's just something the die is not interested in. Um, and if they are, uh, at least from Frax, the you know we're always willing to outstretch the hand. And I think uh, I think so is Doe. I mean obviously I can't I can't like put words in his mouth. But I think the knowing him and and knowing both how strategic and smart he is. I think that's that was his way of saying the same thing I'm saying just just in in his uh, personality and uh, I think that's what Jose said on the show as well I think this kind of lines up okay uh, so there is like this one piece of real estate which is curve which is really really important for liquidity and with stable coins and curve is designed to be fought over right it's called the curve wars for a reason and so like do you think we 
the stablecoin wars, the where do you think the equilibrium of the stablecoin wars ends up? Is the stable is the war word even appropriate, or is that just like the like the clickbaity headline that people like to talk about? So where do you think the the long term like equilibrium of the stablecoin fight for liquidity in DeFi ends up at? Yeah, I think curve is more important than some people uh, think. In fact, part of the reason maybe the uh, maker is not that. Uh, interested in like working with us is like I think their opinion of like how important curve actually is, is is different they're like okay this is just like a dex it's like losing money on all the crv emissions and and stuff and it's just a funny game people can play uh we're doing real world assets and our you know our uh, focus is over there um and stuff and that's fine and that, that's actually fantastic you know the difference of opinion but we want to focus on this because like I said we do think curve is more than just a dex at least i do i think it's a algorithmic savings account where people can deposit the ratio of of stuff that's you know in the curve pool and they get uh, a yield on that in in crv and cvx which is a convex a governance token and then anything else right like uh you know if you if you do the uh bribing system or whatever like you're saying but like some people don't think that's actually interesting. Some people think that it's just a uh, Ponzi game of like a DEX that's not profitable or something like that. Uh, I think it's an in, uh, incorrect assumption because Curve is not just a DEX. Um, and, you know, we could have an entire uh, podcast just describing like mechanisms that look like something but are entirely different. Uh, and I think Curve is, is one of those. But the, that's the thing. Uh, Frax has the largest CVX holdings, uh, which is the convex token, which does control parts of Curve. Uh, Terra also has a very large amount. Uh, Maker does not. They could purchase it if they want to, but I doubt they will based on their uh, strategic opinions. Um, they could also, you know, work directly with us in, in terms of that, but I don't think they will, and there's nothing wrong with it. I, I think, though, that it, the four pool is going to be absolutely massive when once things get going. We just actually launched uh, the the four pool on Arbitrum uh, and the gauge for that, uh, which is the thing that earns the CRV emissions, uh, should be going up any hour now, literally. Um, and then uh, the one on Phantom is already out. This, this period, there will be emissions to it. The one on, uh, I believe on Polygon is actually uh, also already out and then the emissions will start soon. So I think this will take the entire stablecoin world by storm. I think it's actually gonna be bigger than what the headlines uh, say once everything is rolled out. It's, it's gonna take slightly longer than people think uh, to roll everything out like this week and then the next week and the week after that. But once it all comes together, uh, I think it's going to be the, the savings account of a very, very large part of the crypto industry. That is cool. And um, yeah, th thanks for explaining that. I guess w one thing to impress upon our, our listeners is um, we call it the stablecoin wars, but um, you, that can be the focus. Uh, but there's also a massive amount of stablecoin synergy here. So even like Frax itself is backed partially based on on DAI that's in these uh, LP tokens and Curve. And what is DAI um, backed by? Well, increasingly these other real world assets. So uh, at some level, Frax wins when uh, DAI makes a deal with Tesla, as they did like two weeks ago, uh, to use uh, to, to provide um, lending lending protocol services to Tesla. So all of these real world assets coming into DeFi actually strengthen Frax as well. And I do think this uh, this lattice approach of all of these different experiments 
and different strategies to address stablecoin actually makes the DeFi space more resilient and stronger because we don't just have one strategy we have like five different strategies right and they're all happening at once and yeah some some will win some will lose some will prove more successful over time but there's strength in having this uh this plurality of, of approaches here i think i guess Sam, as we draw to a close, and this has gone on longer than we thought, just because I think we've been intensely interested in, in what you've had to say and, and learning more about this project. So, so thank you for your time. I'm wondering if you could give us some predictions on what happens next in stablecoins, just like you're, you're thinking about this day in and day out. Do you have any hot takes, any, any predictions for the next one year, the next three years in terms of how the space evolves and, and what happens next? Just anything that comes to mind. Yeah, definitely. Um, so first thing is, I, I actually always like to say uh, we're we're positive some players at, at Frax, and and I think a lot of this is actually catching on because I always like to say uh, stablecoin pegs are stronger together than they are trying to actually take from each other. It's always a good idea to grow the entire economic piece of the pie rather than take uh, other people's piece of the pie, whether it's liquidity, whether it's like size, market cap, or users. Um, but basically, that's the philosophy we always do at, at, at Frax, right? So like we, we love Terra. We're willing to work with them, and we're, we are going to do this absolutely massive four pool. Uh, we're willing to work with Pretty much anyone we love Faye and those guys as well um joey's a great guy and and the people building volt which is the other uh project in terms of where we see the space going i think that you know i i don't want to like kind of toot my own horn but we've been pretty spot on with with like you know the things like looking like fractional uh stable coins us releasing frax is like the first you know fractional algorithmic one and then also releasing the first cpi you know pegged stable coin in the fbi i think what's going to happen is that in the next 12 to 24 months there will be uh consolidation around three, maybe four uh, decentralized stable coins. Uh, and by consolidation, I mean, it's going to increasingly look like, you know, things like UST, Frax, DAI, probably Fay maybe and stuff are, are going to be kind of the the ones that are all the new projects are using as collateral, right? Like like what we like might be using for USDC. I think it's going to there's going to be a consolidation on the decentralized stable coin level. Right. Um, and Second thing is, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, the narrative of these uh, inflation-resistant assets talked about in terms of is is Bitcoin and ETH uh, better for inflation resistance, or is, are they better central bank reserves on these decentralized central bank uh, protocols like FPI and and like you know Terra and stuff? Because one thing that's really uh, important that Doe started the narrative on is like BTC is like the new gold, right? And they're using that as, as like Terra's uh, basically gold, right? And we think the same thing for ETH and, and basically uh, some BTC, right, to have some kind of exposure to. But I think that ETH is, is basically the same kind of trillion dollar asset as, as Bitcoin. And what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of shifting of the narrative of, you know, inflation resistance is is where you go with like bitcoin and eth and instead it's going to be 
you go to these stable coins because they literally have an inflation resistant peg and then you invest in like ETH and, and BTC and stuff to increase your your net worth denominated in these like FBI stable coins or, or like dollars if you still use those. That's my kind of hot take and the reason that I'm uh, people call me like a stable coin maxi or, or something like that and, and I always try to not you know take the, the maxi moniker but it's like I think that for stability and inflation resistance uh, stable coins or currencies with like an actual algorithmic monetary policy are uh, superior. But I believe that the two big other trillion dollar narratives, which is Ethereum and Bitcoin, make the perfect reserves for those kinds of stable coins. So that, that's kind of the, the way to end this, I think. That's a really good take. And I think Bankless is um, definitely the Bankless thesis uh, agrees with what you're saying. And uh, certainly I think our, our listeners, listeners can relate to how painful it is to spend their ETH and spend their Bitcoin, right? You'd rather be sending something like, uh, is it FPI? Which yeah. is which is kind of like an earning an FPI and, and you know, keeping kind of your, your one to two month reserves in that and uh, never having to spend, just stack your ETH, stack and stake. And uh, the same with Bitcoin as well. Um, Thank you so much, Sam. This has been a lot of fun, and I think you turned on the light bulb for a lot of listeners. So we appreciate you coming on Bankless and telling us about the stablecoin wars, talking to us more about Frax. It was my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Guys, we'll include some links in the show notes to the Frax dashboard, also the Elgo stablecoin market share dashboard that uh, that we displayed on YouTube. Uh, risks and disclaimers, as always, ETH is risky, Bitcoin is risky, stablecoins are. That's for sure. Crypto is risky. You could definitely lose what you put in, but hey, is it any riskier than fiat? I'm not sure these days. Uh, the truth is we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.